All right, welcome to Going Live with Good Soil, episode 47. Matt, you did a great job with Farzad last week. I read some of the comments, and everyone said that you're the star, and I should just uh, <laughs> bow down to you and, and let you run the show pretty much. Um, you did a really good job. I've, I've been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> reading the comments in general is a, a dangerous uh idea it is so dangerous. i wouldn't put too much stock in that <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is dangerous but that particular comment had like eight likes and none of our other comments had any likes so i was like oh man that's <laughs> we've got a good uh, thing going here back and forth that's that's for sure we do we do we do we do so all right good going live with good so episode 47 last week i was in puerto rico and and then miami for the all-in podcast i mean the all yeah the all-in podcast summit and that was really interesting. Learned a lot. They're coming out with uh, a lot of the, um, you know, talks on their episode page for people that are interested. Um, but the macro market, man, it's uh, that's what we start off with. And and this macro market's brutal again today. Uh, I mean, yesterday, I guess it was up. Tesla was down or, or not up that much. So it didn't feel like it was really <laughs> a big rebound day. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's our big thing is Tesla. And, and, and it's down today with the macro market it, it has seemed like tesla you know so there's the concept of, of beta where you know tesla would move at like say a beta of two so if the market's up two percent tesla would be up four percent it seems like tesla's beta right it, right now is like an absolute value of negative two so even if the market's up two percent tesla's down four or something like that it's just been uh so significantly underperforming everything um mm-hmm. so you know that that obviously can't stay the case forever in you know, the, the lower Tesla goes, the more I'm, I'm, I'm honestly like salivating right now because the, you know, the, the fundamentals <laughs> of the business are still so strong. I, yeah, this kind of sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but I was just looking at the like stock price history this this morning and the day after Tesla reported the, the like surprise Q1, just absolute massive earnings beat. The stock opened at like it was like one thousand seventy seven or something, something very high like that. Which seems like so long ago. It does, um, but it, it was just kind of a reminder of like yeah, Tesla's fundamentals are definitely going to win out in the end. I don't know in how many quarters it's going to take yeah. to kind of get there for the stock to to reprice. Um, but a strong Q2 would go a long way. Uh, but it seems yeah. more likely a strong Q3, Q4 uh, would would stem the bleeding and possibly you know kind of re-rate higher. So yeah, in the long run, I agree. I'm super optimistic. I'm super optimistic in the long run. You know, if I could buy like a, you know, eight year out option for Tesla for like a thousand strike price for five hundred dollars, I'd put all my money into that right now. You know, <laughs> like like that that that's that's how, how you know that that's how confident I am in the long run. It'll definitely win out. It's just scary. The next you know few months, next year, whatever, however long this lasts. We're in like a, a winter of investing in equities or asset allocation in equities. It's like a, a brutal winter spurred by the Fed. And um, just, you know, everyone's, you know, the herd is just like running out of equities and the asset allocators, which really drive valuations of equities. You know, it's just you don't know how irrational on the downside this can go for how long. That's what's scary. And so, you know, on my personal side, I've tried to clear out you know, my margin balance and all this stuff. Cause you just don't know, you got to prepare. And, you know, it's uh it's a, it's a brutal, brutal time right now for, for the growth in tech stocks that are down. You know, I, I was on Dave's channel and I told him a, a joke, but like the keep, I keep thinking of it. What's, what's the fastest way for a tech or growth stock to be down 90% Matt. I did hear that. So to be down 80%, then get cut in half. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I feel like that's where we could be right now. And that punchline, it's scary and sad. And, uh, for all those of us who've been investing in, in growth tech stocks and Tesla's lumped into that, you know, I mean, Tesla's down 50% from its all time highs, not even down 80%, you know, so, um, it could go down much more temporarily. I don't know. Um, but I agree with you, Matt, in the long term, it's it's the lower it goes, the more attractive it is. If you have dry powder to deploy into Tesla stock, you know, it just it, you know what's going to go much higher in the long run. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like the, um, the the downturn we've seen, like I thought a month ago, it was like, all right, well, this is getting ridiculous now. You know, the, the <laughs> yeah. leap pricing in particular was was looking super attractive, and so you know, yeah. if you did move into into leaps, then you've seen those get hit even harder than you know just the pure equity, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, I, I'm feeling as as ridiculous as this is. Um, I, I'm feeling 
surprisingly comfortable and surprisingly peaceful about the situation, you know, even though on paper my face is being ripped off. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. You know, this, this has all happened in like a month and a half for the most part. I mean, you could go back to the all time highs and it's, it's a little bit more than that. But like, if you look at, like I was saying, where we were after the Q1 print, which was not very long ago, yeah. you know, we, we've had basically no news since then. And uh, I don't know. Did you see that hit the hit that bid interview that Yashu did with um, was it Dan Ives? I think yesterday. I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I don't. Dan Ives is a good TV personality. But ever yeah. since he went long on Nicola, he had that call of like a buy rating <laughs> on Nicola. I lost all. Like that was the red flag, the king of all red flags to me. Like I can't listen to anything this guy yeah. says going forward. But anyway, well, I, well, was... how was it? I mean, it was kind of hilarious because he was talking about all these things of like, oh, the distraction of, you know, Twitter and, you know, Elon, um, you know, doing all these political moves and and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And he's like, that's what the market is thinking right now. And like he listed, I don't know, there were probably three or four other things that he listed that were, you know, huge issues, uh, but mm -hmm. only in the short term. And, and yeah. I, I have to imagine, you know, 12 months from now, like however this Twitter thing shakes out, whatever Elon does with his litigation, his legal team and, you know. The, all the political ranting and raving that he's doing right now. I don't think anybody's going to care about that when Tesla posts, you know, Q2 2023 earnings, you know, a year, a year from yeah. now. So, yeah. you know, I, I kind of think, okay, well, the market's giving us this, you know, huge discount opportunity. Um, I, I don't know what's going to go on with macro, but I'm becoming kind of more convinced that um, the, the inflation concerns are, are potentially a little bit overblown. And maybe we can go into that for a little bit. Um, also, but, yeah. um, you know, I just think ultimately like, like the PE can't go to anything's possible, but I have a hard time imagining that the PE goes down to like a trailing PE of 20, for example. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> so, I heard, I heard a note, uh, I, I'm trying to remember which, uh, interview, but I have to look, but I think Apple's PE temporarily went down to like seven or eight during one of the crashes. It might've been the 2000 eight or 2001 and at some point apple but this was before i think the iphone was like in, you know put out and stuff but you know these pe's yeah we we look at that long term but i think in the short term the market can be very irrational and these pe's can get compressed to like what we think are like impossible right now but they they very it's possible like i i'm just not i'm i i see that as a possibility not to completely deny you know mm -hmm. not yeah all. i don't think it's likely but, you know, in in a short, you know, it's almost like a like the flash crash. No one thought that makes sense. Right. When there was the flash crash and all that, you know, mm -hmm. and this could be like a slow moving version of that in some ways in terms of valuations or something, you know, and asset allocate. Everyone's just rushing out. It's just like a follow the herd mass hysteria of asset allocators just kind of all like closing out of their equities positions, moving money out of equities in general. And then everything suddenly looks super attractive and everyone rushes back in, you know, but not after it's been overdone, like ridiculously, which is, it feels like it already is, but you just, it, it's not, nothing's trading on fundamentals right now. This is just all macro headwind herd mentality of asset allocators. I feel like. Yeah, I think that's the quote. I mean, nothing's trading on fundamentals right now. It, it's so yeah. true. Um, I mean, you're seeing Tesla kind of get treated like all the kind of like terrible SPAC companies out there, you know, who like just had these valuations that never made any sense to begin with. And so then they're down, you know, 80 percent. And Tesla, you know, Tesla's not down quite that much, but, um, you know, it, it still yeah. is kind of caught in this, uh, you know, macro environment where, you know, the, the valuations are just kind of getting cut blindly in, in my mind. I mean, looking at like, you know, Rocket Lab and Lemonade and all these companies that are, you know, trading. I don't know if Rocket Labs, I don't think Rocket Labs actually below cash value, but, you know, Lemonade certainly trading below cash value right now. And so, like, there's just the market is cutting with a very broad knife right now. And I think it's going to take some time for companies that don't have earnings right now to kind of prove that they're, you know, more legitimate and, and you know, have some staying power. And I think those will get re-rated once the dust settles. But for companies, you know, like the Apples and the Teslas of the world who actually have earnings power, actually have, you know, positive cash flow generation and, and you know, reasonable metrics that you can use to value the company in the in the short term. You know, I, I think those ones should rebound faster yeah. than, than the rest. The good businesses, for sure. It's hard to say which of these 
software as a service companies will be around long term or not in my mind. Um, but I think the good ones will, obviously. And also, I, I really like hard tech, you know, companies that make things like Tesla, obviously, you know, or NVIDIA or Apple, you know, those companies that make things, they can't just disappear into thin air where software as a service, I feel like can disappear into thin air if some other best, better software as a service comes along and disrupts it or disintermediates it. It can happen much quicker than, you know, making physical things, which would be much slower process to, you know, as we've seen with cars, like it takes decades to disintermediate ICEs into EVs, right? It's not like something mm -hmm. that can happen in one or two years, like in software. Yeah. In, in a little bit of a tangent here, but did you happen to catch um, Brett Witten's tweet about um, AI researchers average estimate for how long artificial general intelligence uh, I did. Like I saw that. It basically, he's saying it's 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 gapped up a lot in the la in 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 very recent history, right? In the last few months, even. Yeah, in the right. last few months. So I, it was a logarithmic scale, so it was kind of hard to tell when the average estimate was. But I think the average estimate for how far away we are from artificial general intelligence, it it was something like well north of ten years, and just in the last six months, it's it's gone sub ten years. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, what, like a year ago, that's kind of a theme you and I were talking a lot about is, you know, we're on the verge of this like massive technological disruption people, you know, AI was kind of like this buzzword and then it like kind of went out of favor, but the, the actual economic potential yeah. of real world artificial intelligence, like Tesla is building and a handful of other companies, it's, it's like massive, the economic implications. I mean, like GDP, GDP multiplying yeah. potential. Um, and so. Yeah. At some point, I think you, that like upside optionality uh, on those companies that are actually making progress in that um, area will have to get valued in as well. And so I don't know when it's going to be. I mean, that's that's probably more than 12 months out. But that's like to me, when I'm looking with my long term investor hat on, that's it's like such an exciting period to, to be alive in right now. So it's a big impact. Yeah, it's going to have a big impact on society in lots of ways. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, in terms of the macro markets, I mean, that's going to have a big effect on the macro markets when it when do you think it's going to be like a, 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 a switch flipped where suddenly within like a month, everyone realizes, oh, this was solved by open AI or Tesla. And, and you think the economy is just kind of like the markets are going to like macro markets are going to like really go up, like saying, realizing the potential of AGI coming to fruition. Or do you think it'll be like a slower drawn out like you know, multi-year process that is happens in stages, you know, and maybe we're in the very beginnings of that now. I mean, I, it's very hard to predict how it's going to pan out, but I, I would, my, my gut tells me that um, people are going to underestimate how big of an impact, you know, AGI really is, or even if it's just not, not AGI, but some highly, um, valuable economic improvement that has narrow AI. So like robo taxis yeah. would be the, the perfect example of that, right? You know, yeah. huge increase in overall economic output, like GDP impacting technology uh, in a very yeah. meaningful way. Yeah. Um, and so the market might say like, oh, look, like Tesla's doing a good job. Like their, their FSD package is a lot better now. And so maybe like there's a great article about that or something like that and market sentiment changes and then Tesla pops 10% or so. Like, I kind of think it's going to be that way. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, no, 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 that's like a hundred percent plus, you know, valuation implication. So I kind of yeah. think it's going to take time for, you know, people to both realize the magnitude of the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can easily envision all the amazing things that the bot, the Tesla bot will be able to apply with AGI, you know, very seamlessly once they have the technology for it. With the cars, it's a complicated thing because the high, stakes are very high. It's like live or die by a simple mistake that the AGI, the, the real world AI could make of driving on the road. So, and there's regulations and laws and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, I feel like they're close to the technology for the cars. They're getting there. Um, but for the bot, I feel like they can be much more experimental and just like put it out there and be like, hey, try our beta AGI, you know, cleaning house cleaning pro what's the bot going to do? Like break a glass or something accidentally, you know, like I feel like it'll be interesting when the bot comes around and he's going to do the demo at AI day. That's a huge, I'm super excited about the AI day in August 19th. It's on my calendar. Like a kid, I'm marking my birthday <laughs> on the calendar. I'm like counting down the days. I can't wait to see the demo of the, of the bot. So, yeah. I, I'm, I was surprised that, you know, they were going to do something so quickly. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. I was kind of surprised they even announced a, an AI day, you know, number two. So that, um, I mean, it's, it wasn't that long ago that they had the first one. 
Um, yeah, I think it was a year ago, August last year. So it's almost exactly a year later, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, exciting. Um, I guess anything else with the macro markets we want to touch on? Kathy Woods, she had an interesting discussion with a Piper Sandler uh, analyst. Um, I listened to it kind of, you know, uh, but I didn't catch the 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 schematics they were showing, uh, or the graphs or charts. Um but my case was they think inflation is going to whipsaw back to deflation pretty soon before we know it. But is that sort of the nut in a nutshell what you heard or? Yeah, I mean, there, that was it. And, you know, there, there was another um, Bill Gurley at the All In Summit, which, which you were at. I, I just caught yeah. that um, there was a panel with him and, and one or two, a couple other uh, folks as well. And, and it was basically the exact same thesis that uh, Kathy and Nancy Lazar, I think her name was, um, put out there and the first time i heard kathy's i, I put a, a you know brief thread out there on it because i was kind of skeptical of, of you know her viewpoint that inflation was going to kind of come ripping back down um yeah her she she kind of uh cited some of the the buildup in inventory specifically at walmart and target and cisco i think they had like these unprecedented uh inventory buildups in q1 and so if you've got you know way too much supply and your demand is falling because we're in a recession well, the only thing to do is to you know drop prices to try to move that and that would yeah. you know, act as a counterbalance against inflation it's like okay well that's a fair enough thesis that that does make sense on the surface but then i started thinking about well commodity prices still are incredibly elevated you know look at oil and gas and, and that translates to yeah. energy prices and that you know that has ripples through the economy that you know is going to be with us for several you know months or years to come even um so that's maybe a counterpoint against what kathy was saying but then you know, Bill Gurley on the All In podcast or the All In Summit was uh, giving kind of more examples of other areas of the economy that are going to come down. So, you know, uh, maybe an obvious example would be interest rates are rising and so people can't afford homes like they used to. That's right. Uh, so that's downward price pressure on, on one area of the economy. Um, and and then automotive. I mean, that's that's one that's really clear. I mean, that was way too hot. Yeah. It's highly yeah. sensitive to interest rates as well. Um, we're already off. seeing inventory levels really build up like drastically. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, another, you know, potential pool of, of inflationary data. And then just this morning, we saw some um, purchasing manager, manager index, which is kind of like a, an early read on potential inflation down the road. Um, their sentiment index, I forget exactly what it's called, but um, there were three different me measures for it. Uh, and they came in drastically lower than expectation. Uh, and it was it was actually down sequentially month over month, which which is to me is a huge sign that. Uh, there may be some downward price pressure, at least within some areas of the economy. So that's really meaningful because if, you know, we do see some easing of these inflation issues, uh, that limits the potential uh, hike, the rate hikes that the, that the Fed may end up doing. So if you're yeah. one of these, you know, people who's in the camp that, oh, Fed's going to have to raise rates to 6% or something like that. Well, if inflation turns around in the next, you know, six months, call it, but they'll, it's, it's probably not going to be reasonable for the Fed to, to raise rates quite that high. Um, mm -hmm. And then in the bond markets today, sorry, this is a bit of a monologue, but I've just been thinking That's a lot good. about this. The 10-year the, the treasuries like falling, you know, pretty significantly from where it had been. So it was down last I looked to like 2.88%, I think, um, which it, it had been well over 3%. So the, the you know, the bond markets seem to be, or at least the, the yield curve seems to be indicating that there may be, um, less kind of long-term rate pressure than maybe the worst case fears and, and the, you know, the, the selling of equities may indicate, you know, could be the case. So I don't know. I, I had been in the inflation is a very big concern. That's not going away anytime camp. And, and I'm starting to see reasonable hypotheses. I think, uh, that the opposite may be true. And that, that doesn't mean that we're out of the woods by any means. Cause you know, you're, you probably still have pretty significant GDP issues. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of equity pricing, if, if inflation kind of gets in check, that's very good news. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good news. Yeah, I mean, inflation, we've been hearing it for a while. I, I feel like um, there's it's it, the indicators we get, I think, are kind of like a, from from the path, you know, so what's going on right now, in the economy, I do feel like inflation has slowed down dramatically from where it was you know, several months ago, but I don't know if the indicators that the Fed is following are 
like real time by any chance, any me, any close to real time. They, I feel like they're from like a month or three months ago, you know. So I'm still worried that the Fed still thinks inflation is hot and and uh, will keep the foot on the pedal for for rates and signaling that. So we'll see. I mean, uh, they, there's I think isn't Powell supposed to be testifying today at some point? Um, yeah, I so think so. Yeah, maybe I mean, he'll leak some dovish language out if we're if we're we're we're, we're begging him to please just say something <laughs> dovish so that people the market doesn't keep panicking and selling yeah yeah i mean it, who knows how long it'll take i mean the the may cpi print will be you know out there in mid-june so you know we're still a ways yeah. away from i think from like a like yeah. a, a significant rally that would you know reverse some of these losses that we've seen recently but um yeah some of the preliminary data and, and frankly, just the, the logic of uh, where people are expecting, you know, CPI to go. To me, it makes sense that it it should be coming down, you know, or at least not be eight percent. You so know, forever. do you know if the May CPI? I mean, I'd love to drill down to someone who knows like how it's calculated specifically. Do they take the prices of goods and services on the last day of May or the middle or the beginning, or is it like an average weighted price index? Like, do you know by any chance? I, I don't know the details. I would assume it's some sort of you know weighted index uh, rather yeah, than like probably. a month end balance sheet sort of sort of thing. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And you know there are different baskets, and there's you know like the, yeah. the core CPI, which is calculated differently than um, you yeah. know the the main CPI. So people have different weights on those. And yeah. um, you know, I, I still do think we're going to have significant commodity price pressure for yeah. a little while, but. Um, a lot of other areas, it does seem likely that, that, you know, they're going to come down. Yeah. And this, the, the, you know, China lockdowns for like the entire month of the last month, pretty much. And it's still apparently very restricted there. Like, you know, I mean, Tesla's having a, you can see all the details, all the things Tesla has to go through to get their workers back to, to work. Um, so a lot of the economy of China is still, I think, locked down to a large degree and, I think there's a lot of downstream effects, you know, with supply chain disruptions that'll, you know, for the world economy to some extent, sort of like what we saw with the initial COVID lockdowns and shutdowns, but maybe to a lesser degree. So, I don't, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see how, how much that plays into, you know, inflation sticking around or not. But what do you think about Tesla and uh, Giga Shanghai? It sounds like they're they're close to being back to, you know, full capacity, apparently. Do you believe that or what do you think? Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, there's, yeah, I follow Troy Tesla, obviously. And if anyone, yeah. you know, wants to know, like, kind of where the company is, I'd highly recommend, you know, being yeah. a patron of Troy because he's, he clearly does the best work on this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's been kind of ringing the alarm bell for a long time now, um, you know, and, and he's been right, I, frankly, that the issues in Shanghai were more serious than they were. Um, mm. But there have been, like, to me, there's not a high degree of confidence on exactly where we are. Like there, mm -hmm. there's been these conflicting reports um, of I, I forget the exact details, but, you know, there was a some Chinese minister of something in in Shanghai that, you know, said production was at like 80 percent of the, the levels. But then there was another kind of internal Tesla memo, which I think people are placing more weight on that. They were at I think it was like 1250 a day or something like that, which was something in the neighborhood of 35 percent of capacity. Uh, so it's like, all right, are we at 35 or are we at 80? Because there's a huge difference between the two. And, and I think it's yeah. more likely that we were at, you know, 35 uh, percent. But then there was another report that came out just yesterday that Tesla had produced 26,000 units, I think it was, since the, mm -hmm. um, the, the plant came back online. Uh, and that was modestly higher than than where Troy Tesla was. So mm -hmm. then the question becomes, all right, well, how quickly can they ramp back up? And if they really are starting two shifts, I think it was today was the date. Um, then, you know, what percent do they get to? And, you know, putting it all together, it kind of makes me think we're going to be somewhere in like the, I don't know, 260,000 unit range, maybe 250, somewhere in that, in that area. Yeah. Um, but it, Tesla could potentially surprise a little bit higher than that. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's definitely not good, uh, you know, it, it's going to be down, but my sense is it's not going to be maybe like a doomsday scenario of, of, you know, only you know, 35,000 units out of Shanghai for the whole quarter or something like that, which really would be, you know, quite terrible. But well, yeah. how are you kind of thinking through the risk and, and where we are right now with, with, you know, deliveries for in world production more so for Q2? Yeah, I mean, I think there's serious risk in terms of the stock price sentiment, you know. Um, I don't know. 
what the you know you, you gotta i guess we gotta figure out what like the quote-unquote whisper number is with the buy side uh institutions the people the institutional money that owns tesla you know um because y- you gotta think that they know about this tesla quarter most likely being you know much under underwhelming compared to the first quarter yeah. in terms of production deliveries you gotta think that they're accounting for that by now so maybe that's part of the reason tesla's dropped uh, along with the macro market and the Twitter charade and the political, you know, stuff, hesitations people might have. Maybe it's all combined. But if it's not, if it's not accounted for yet, and like Troy, you know, maybe we're just in our own, our own little like corner of the Tesla Twitterverse, and we kind of look at this stuff more seriously than any institutions. Um, then, you know, I mean, Wall Street analysts, quote unquote, I think it's like a 270 or 280 or something like that still um it was like 305 until recently it was like yeah they're way behind the ball the quote-unquote wall street analyst estimates right so they they are but uh, gary black had a a really good tweet about that a a while ago he said yeah some analysts just don't update the the volumes for the numbers that they put out but they just kind of put out a new eps estimate and so what you've seen actually is that the eps estimates have kind of come down pretty significantly so Last month or last, sorry, last quarter, they posted, you know, 222 or something like that. Or no, no, sorry, 322 um, of earnings per share. And the current estimate for Q1 or sorry, for Q2, last I checked was uh, like 219. So, you know, w- which is really close close to what I'm projecting right now with kind of the lower numbers. So it may be like my, my fear is you know, there's probably going to be that headline number that, oh, my gosh, Tesla misses. Yeah, know, analyst estimates for deliveries by you know yeah. fifty thousand units or whatever. But I think when it comes time to EPS, which is really the more important thing, um, I don't think there's like to me the miss is baked in the EPS numbers. Yeah, so so headline yeah. risk maybe, I but I think so. the investors are actually factoring that in already. Now here's an interesting question to pontificate about how the market might react. Do you think like there's got to be Netflix diehard investors, like a miniature version of the Tesla Twitterverse, but Netflix investors. I know there is, right? And maybe they talk to each other and they kind of feel like they have some information. They they understand what's going on with Netflix the same the same way we think we understand what's going on with Tesla. So do you think those people expected Netflix to have its kind of metrics reported in its recent quarterly earnings? Or do you think that was a surprise to them? I think that was a surprise. I mean I would hope so. I would hope so. Because if it's not and they sort of expected it, and then the market still crashed. That's what I'm worried about because we sort of expect Tesla to do 250 to 260, you know, and if it does that and the, and the market then, and we expecting it, then, you know, that's what I'm saying. Does that make yeah, sense Yeah, I mean, you? that one I think was was a huge surprise. I mean, um, in like what, what we saw yesterday with Snap uh, issuing guidance lower, that was clearly a surprise. And I mean, that shocked yeah. the whole markets because that, that yeah, you that know, I think very... got everybody... Yeah. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, you've got Zoom like surprising on the upside and it's like, okay, great. Plus 5%. It's like good news. Like um, the best possible news is plus 5%. It was up 20% until Snapchat did it. Freaking ruined its party. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Snap. Yeah. And what's Zoom doing today even? Is it even holding its gain? Zoom is still up 6%. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. Okay. There we go. I I was expecting to look at Zoom and see it down 5% along with like all the other growth tech stocks or formally anointed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not technically valued like, you know, but it was formally anointed as like a growth tech stock. Now it's sort of become a value stock. (laughs) So, yeah, it's... um, just money is just leaving equities. It's just an asset class that asset allocators are running from at this point. It's kind of scary. I think you'll see a lot of companies go private or be taken over as a taken to be private. You know uh, what VMware was recently recently acquired. I think you'll see lots of these acquisitions coming up if valuations keep getting lower. It just is going to be too attractive for private equity to take some of these companies private. I think. Yeah, I mean, at these prices, it it does seem reasonable. I mean that. That is something I kind of worry about with lemonade, to be honest with you. That you know, mm. gosh, they're trading at such a, a discount right now. Somebody yeah, below cash. The tech and um, yeah. so it, it it certainly could happen. But I, I think like a, a lot of companies are very risk averse anyways. So it, you know, um, there could be some some increased M and A. I, I don't know, but I, I my sense is people are going to want to wait until the market settles somewhere, and, and then maybe you'd see some of that. But 
I mean, with with the S and P making like three four percent moves like on a daily yeah. basis, it's it's yeah. kind of hard to pin down a price and say, all right, yeah, we'll acquire you for that price. You know, six months from now when the deal closes, with yeah, that much uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just feels, and the VIX is like hardly over thirty, and like the it just feels odd because the S and P is down one point seven four percent. I just saw on the TV, and that just feels like. It feels like a low volatility day to me for relatively speaking to what it's usually like. So it's just, yeah, you're right. Three to 4% moves is like expected almost at any, any day of the week. It could be a, you know, three to 5% move, especially the NASDAQ. So it's uh it's a weird time we're in. Yeah. 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 It's very weird. Yeah. So also uh, the Ro- rocket lab and Roblox earnings, we've never really got a chance to talk much about that. Uh, I know you didn't, I don't think you talked about it much with, is there anything that struck out, you know, stuck out to you, struck out, <laughs> that stuck, stuck out to you about Rocket Lab or Roblox earnings that, that you want, that you thought was interesting? Yeah. So the, uh, I'll, I'll start with maybe the like one biggest takeaway from, from each one of them without doing a, a full deep dive because we're already half an hour in, but um, to, mm-hmm. to me, the big takeaway from uh, Roblox was they're very serious about monetiz- monetization now. So that the the plan for, for the longest time was always kind of grow the user base, kind of get the flywheel going, get the developers yeah. in house, and kind of um, do monetization once you've reached a critical mass. I think they, you know, Dave Bazuki wisely, you know, thought now's the time, like with the market with where it is, and frankly with Roblox with where it is and its kind of maturity level, uh, it's time to start, you know, pulling that lever a little bit and trying to increase monetization. Uh, so that's a I think that was a really strong signal. The market didn't really react to it too much, or maybe it, it did actually initially, and then it kind of got lost in the noise of macro. Um, yeah. But that can that could drastically change the company's you know uh, financial profile. So I mean, it's one of those companies that's very hard to kind of pin down the valuation on because you've got to really project out you know four or five years and, and look at what what you think the company is going to look like from a you know top line and margin perspective, uh, and then discount it back. So. Uh, if they can start making some significant progress on on monetization and get those you know revenues up and get you know investors a, an idea of what the financial profile could look like um, as they continue to grow, I think that would be really good for the stock. So that was a big mm-hmm. takeaway on on Rocket Lab or sorry on Roblox, and then um, Rocket Lab. I, I think one of the maybe two main takeaways: one, they're incredibly capital efficient. They're they built a new pad yeah. uh, in New Zealand. And they're they're building out their wallets facility, uh, so you know, doing a lot of investment while they're also building a new uh, or developing the new um, rocket. And they only spent seven million dollars of, of capex. Like I, it's just a staggeringly low number. Like how do you how does a company like that only spend seven million in capex? Yeah. It's just astonishing. Yeah. So uh, that was one. And then uh, they're diversifying their their revenue. I think more than people realize. About half their revenue is is going to be coming from launch, and then half and 50% and probably growing over time is going to come from uh, providing services and software and products to other, you know, participants within the the space industry. So I think people tend to think of them as just a launch company that's going to get eaten by SpaceX. Um, But I I really view them as much more of a vertically integrated provider that's, that's, you know, creating value uh, throughout the entire industry. So those were my takeaways, but did you have anything else for, for those two that stuck out? No, I agree with you on the Rocket Lab. The capital efficiency was very, was striking to me, but the with Roblox, um, you know, I, I think the advertising is a good news. Well, monetization. I think they mentioned they're going to start offering more advertising options, maybe for the developers or, or such. But I think the uh, one thing that also struck was interesting to me was the demographics they showed. You know, their supplemental materials mm-hmm. and they're really growing that 13 and over demographic. And so what that's telling me is the kids who play Roblox, they're sticking Roblox. So that 13 and over, it might not necessarily be a lot of new users that are like 14 or 15 year olds trying Roblox for the first time and sticking with it. My hunch is that a lot of that 13 over demographic growth that they're showing is a result of all the kids that are every quarter, a certain amount of kids are suddenly 13 years old versus the last quarter you know, and two quarters, three or four quarters later, they're 14 years old, whatever. So all the kids that are becoming 13, they're sticking with Roblox and, uh, you know, as opposed to leaving Roblox for other things like Fortnite or whatever. And kids still play Fortnite and such too. But I think the they're, they're doing a good job of holding on to the, uh, 
the attention of their you know daily active users uh, as they age. So I thought that was impressive, and and also their growth outside of the U.S. is tremendous. You know, especially in Asia and you know in the U.S. Mm-hmm. they sort of hit a plateau. Uh, but they, they, I think they mentioned in the call something about they expect that to kind of steadily increase again soon. Now that the the initial plateau that seemed like a plateau where they're like negative one percent year over year was more of just like a rebound from the COVID spike. So right. they're still growing, but the COVID spike rebound sort of neutralized their growth to make it look like they're flat, if that makes sense. So they expect to have like a steady growth show up in uh, the U.S. again pretty soon. So. I'm, I'm going to keep a close eye on that, but I, I, I like the growth, the continued growth of their monthly or daily active users. I think that's what excited me. Yeah. And it, when you couple, you know, the kind of aging demographic that they have, at least within the, you know, that, that older cohort uh, with some of the stuff they're trying to do, like on concerts, for example, um, yeah. to me, that's a really exciting possibility when you're going to have <clears throat> a demographic, which has slightly higher disposable income than say a 12 year old. Um, yeah you know, to, to devote to something like a, a concert. And they've already had, you know, really positive uh, feedback uh, when they started, you know, d- done a couple of those kind of, I guess I would, I would call them like pilot concerts or events like that. So yeah. the potential for uh, like essentially a brand new business line to be meaningful, meaningfully financially uh, is really strong, I think. So I'll be yeah. curious to watch how that, how they build that out over time. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't go to the Q and a, uh, Alec, Behind the scenes, here's going to queue up some questions for us to read and we'll go over for the next uh, 20 minutes or so. So from IR underscore Rizzle on Twitter, in the event of a renegotiated deal, what do you think would be a fair price for Twitter, assuming 12 to 14% are bots? Yeah, I think someone did comment to Elon about that. Like, so since more than 5% are bots, shouldn't you reduce the price by whatever, you know, like a comparable percentage? Um I think that combined with the market revaluation of all tech stocks. I mean, I think if Elon said he's cutting the deal, he pays the billion dollar fine, and then he sold his 10% Twitter stock, I think Twitter would immediately be trading in the tw- in the teens at this point, you know? Um, yeah. But he couldn't just come back and buy it then at 25 bucks. That would just be like, it, it would be looked at, back, you know, imagine the lawsuits and all the headlines of market manipulation, all that, you know, so, that, yeah. and that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, might not necessarily match his integrity. You know, I think he's trying to honestly just negotiate, not honestly, well, he's trying his best to negotiate a more fair price other than $54, you know, and I think the stock trading at $36 is showing that, you know, 54 is absurd. Um, So I think uh, the fair price, assuming if it's 12 to 14% bots, if the market was still where it was when he initially, made the bid i would say it should be like 50 dollars to 54 but because the market's really tanked i would say it should be like 40 35 or 40 i don't know that's my thought what do you think man that's just my gut i have no basis on that i just threw it out of the thin air what do you think if man? it were if it were just the bots and, and macro I, I might agree with you but like to me twitter's business is very i would say analogous to um snapchat's um with how dependent they are on advertising revenue. And so if, if yeah. Snapchat is a canary in the coal mine for where yeah. corporate advertising is, then oh my gosh. man, I'd be running for the hills, you know, if I'm trying to forecast, you know, Tesla. Same with or, Instagram and Facebook and yeah. Meta or whatever, right? That could be a bad for them too, yeah. I, I would think so. Um, I mean, and so that's like brand new information as of yesterday evening. Um, and so I'd be wanting to see, okay, how, how's the ad spending coming in right now for uh, for Twitter, because that's probably a bigger valuation impact uh, than the bots, I, I think, honestly. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, as I'm looking at all the detail, you, you've got lower multiples, you've got uh, a bigger bot issue than was realized, and that's going to create you know pressure on your revenues. And then you've got like a very massive dec- decrease in advertising spend right now. Um, <laughs> like to me, twenty dollars seems like within the realm of possibility. Now maybe. You know, you do it at a premium, so he could go for twenty-five or thirty or something like that. But yeah, um, to me, I, I think there's so much bad stuff kind of cutting against Twitter right now that I, I, I don't think the 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 price can reasonably stay higher than say forty. Yeah, I mean, Snapchat was trading at like seventy dollars plus at one point, like a year or a year and a half ago. I can't remember exact date. I just remember watching it was like seventy plus, and Twitter is high. The highest it got was like in the sixties, I think. Um, 
you know, their market caps are not the, you know, the price per share, but now Snapchat's down to $13. So, you know, Twitter without this Elon stuff, you know, I feel like could easily be in the teens. Uh, you know, it's just, they're very similar businesses, uh, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. Matt, and the advertising business model and such. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Twitter would be much lower for sure. I think if Elon wasn't in the discussion for them, obviously, obviously. So, <laughs> all right. From BJ 23 air on Twitter. Was there any discussion about Metro mile at the all in summit in Miami, both Chamath and Freeburg are investors. Uh, no, I did not hear any, any mention of uh, Metro mile um, at the all in summit. No, but that's a good question to ask them. Yeah. From Tesla maniac 32. I like the name on Twitter. Do you think Elon is aligning himself with the moderate right as as a move to secure better government support for his companies? I don't think he's like doing that nefariously. Like, I don't think that's his intent. I don't think that's his motive. I mean, that might be a byproduct of what he's doing, but I think he's just following his heart. Honestly, I think he's just a genuine guy and like he wants to do what's morally right and optimizes the best chance of a good outcome for humanity. And he sees what's going on and and politics is and you know his companies are doing great things for humanity but they're not acknowledged or helped at all by the current you know political uh system or whatnot and so i think he's just doing what he thinks is right but a byproduct might be that um you know the government might support his companies more and they should you know they should be fighting for his company both democrats and republicans should be trying to woo elon and his companies in my mind they shouldn't be vilifying him like like they have to some degree. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think there's, for as long as I can remember, there's been, um, I think people kind of mischaracterizing Elon's actions because they don't understand the way that he thinks. So, you know, he'll do something which seems odd and, you know, people will kind of ascribe nefarious motivations. Um, but I think he really does, like, I've been thinking about trying to pull together a chart or something that says like, all the different things that he's doing, which seems so weird. Like what are the actual motives in, in plain English, like mm. translating Elon or something like that. Yeah. So I may try to pull that together at some point. Um, That'd be neat. I think his, his motives are generally pretty straightforward. Just that, you know, he wants a better outcome for humanity. Like you said, Emmett, and he's concerned yeah. about a trend that he sees. And so like at its most basic function, I, I think he sees the kind of increasing amount of censorship and, and cancel culture, which is probably an overused term, but you know, the, the lack of respect for divergent opinions. So you and I am it, we disagree on individual theses or individual mm -hmm. topics, but we have a huge amount of respect for each other. So we can talk rationally, you know, not get offended if you think something differently than I do and vice versa. Um, yeah, that's the way human, human society really progresses. And, and, but there's been a huge, I think, pushback where, you know, there's certain, sacred areas where you can't have an opinion different from, you know, the establishment on, you know, X, Y, Z topic. Uh, yeah. and, and I think he says, well, no, no, that's, that's not, you know, first principles reasoning. That's actually kind of a threat to human progress. If we, you know, can't have disagreements on certain things. So I, I think it really is just, you know, him trying to, um, like, uh, preserve, uh, rational thinking. And, and that's why he's doing this. It's not, you know, trying to get contracts or make money or anything. Yeah. I think people forget that Elon, you know, to, to try to understand Elon incentive, Elon's incentives, they're not human. They're not normal human incentives. Like this guy does not work to consume. Like this guy works to work harder, to work harder, to better the common, what, you know, humanity as a whole, you know, like he's not living on yachts. He's not buying, uh, you know, he sell, sold off most of his assets recently. You know, he's living in a small house. He works like a hundred hours a week. You know, he's like sleeping on factory floors. Like he doesn't need to be doing any of that. You know, like he's the only billionaire, multi-billionaire that works anything close to that hard. You know, like it's insane how hard he works considering how wealthy he is. I mean, is there any other multi-billionaire that's like working anything close to as hard as he does on his business? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's crazy. So he does find time to, to play and beat Elden Rings. But, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I think he does that instead of sleep because I think he sleeps like three hours a night or something. I think he's mentioned in the past on some. So but yeah, it's crazy. He's a different person, different than all of the rest of us in many ways. Yeah. 
<clears throat> Next from Tesla Maniac on Twitter. Again, uh, do you believe that the market has priced in all upper bound negative macro forces that are currently in play? That's the quite that's the that's the trillion dollar multi trillion dollar question, right? Is is it how much of the of the macro negative stuff is priced in? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was priced in every month for the last few months, but it's <laughs> it's it's not. You know, um, when when is the month where it's all priced in? Finally, I don't know. You have any thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean. It's it's pricing in a lot of really bad news already. Um, I mean that's clear. So, I mean you can you can certainly paint um, a a pretty nasty picture where you know there's um, you know companies are cutting costs and we've got inflation and so you've got you know like 1970s style stagflation. You know that's like the the worst case scenario probably. Um, I don't think that's really where we are i think it's a different situation completely but um i if you know the economic data does like uh, continue to uh point towards that becoming a higher reality then yeah we, we could certainly have, have more to go so um it's it's not clear but in in my mind the most likely outcome is that we're we're kind of near the bottom but this is not financial advice and you know we've been wrong before so you know nobody yeah. i think has to kind of make up their own mind of, of where we are From Justin on the YouTube comments, question for Matt, what do you think is a reasonable range or of PE multiple for Tesla? Yeah, I mean, financial theory would tell you that like a, a peg ratio is, is probably the right way to look at a company that's growing fast like Tesla. And so, you know, if you assume Tesla for the next several years is going to grow their earnings per share by like about 50% on average. And so maybe it starts at like, 80% and then ends up at, I don't know, 30% or something like that. But on average over that time period, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, 50% earnings growth, which seems reasonable to me, given what they're trying to, how they're trying to increase the top line, you know, deliveries of 50% per year. So that's really kind of assuming no operating leverage, which is probably a conservative assumption. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. But if that's the case, um, and you say, all right, well, if you're going to grow earnings by 50% per year, then financial theory would tell you a peg ratio of one is, is appropriate. And so that would translate to a PE ratio of 50. Um, so then if you're, I mean, you can use that as kind of a, a you know baseline of, all right, well, where do you think the next 12 months earnings are going to be? Um, you know, and, and you can, you can use your forward assumption from there. That's a good answer. Good explanation, it, Matt. Thanks. Mm -hmm. From Evan Glansman, question, let's say we are still floating around similar prices and macro sentiment at the end of September. How do you think the market would react to a 400,000 plus production and delivery Q3 from Tesla? That's a great question. I mean, I would be super pumped. The business sh would show to me that it's booming, like a, a higher floor is in the Tesla stock at that point, you know, in my mind. Um, but if the macro market is trading like the way it is, like, who knows? It could have a similar reaction to what Zoom did. Like, it could be up twenty percent or twenty-five percent on the earnings report after hours. But if the whole macro market is down three or four percent the next day from Snap giving worse guidance or whatever, Tesla might end up the day only up five percent or, or or like Zoom is now. You know, like we've seen that before with Tesla, where they've had these numbers that have been surprises to even us, and they just show the growth. I think one quarter in the summer last summer was like that. I can't remember. And certainly, you know, Q1, there was certainly a muted reaction the next couple of days, but yeah, I mean, I worry about, I mean, I, to me, it would put a higher floor of how low Tesla would go. Maybe instead of Tesla getting to like, you know, potentially $300 before what Warren Buffett steps in and starts buying it, maybe it would be like $400 and then suddenly before Warren Buffett starts, steps in and starts buying it or take, you know, whatever. So that's that's the more exciting thing to me like the business itself the you know the fundamentals are are really very strong you know if and when they produce that delivery number what do you, what are your thoughts on the question matt yeah i mean i i completely agree with with everything you said it's like in the short term the best possible news <laughs> like sometimes is does not move the stock the way that you would think that it should so mm -hmm. uh, like the Q1 numbers, for example, to me, that moved the floor up pretty significantly. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but even still, the stock is falling. And so now it's like, all right, well, I, how far can Tesla go into, you know, value stock territory before people start, you know, picking up, you know, just, just buying it for value reasons, like you were saying. Yeah, like, before it hits the floor. Yeah, the floor that has been ro risen, rose up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned like the PE of Apple at one point of, of like nine. And in my mind, like that, that only, like you can only get that low, I think, if the market really doesn't believe that your numbers are sustainable. So, you know, like Coinbase is trading at a nine because people expect that the revenues and the profits are actually decrease, decreasing going forward rather than increasing. So right now, I think if I'm trying to read the tea leaves a little bit of like, what does a non-Tesla fanatic think is going on right now? They probably think, okay, well, you know, we're going into a recession. And so what happens in recessions is car companies get smashed, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, people cut spending and particularly for luxury cars, quote unquote, that are, you know, $60,000 or more. Um, those are going to, uh, demand for those are going to dry up. And so Tesla's building factories precisely at the time that we're entering a recession and demand is going to dry up and, and they're not going to be able to sustain, you know, the, the $3.22 earnings print, uh, let alone grow that going forward. Um, if that is the uh, hypothesis that you know many people are thinking, which by the way the, the the facts don't justify that whatsoever right now. Like the backlog is actually increasing, even though like the economy is falling apart right now. Yeah, I keep checking that and like waiting for signs that you know demand or the backlog is shrinking, but that's not happening. Um, so you know if 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 we kind of get get to this point where Tesla continues to have the pricing power that they've had which translates to higher margins and they still have a you know call it 6 month plus backlog you know at some point the bear hypothesis like the market's not entirely inefficient and so i think at some point um there would be a a rebound but to what level you know if they do say $4 and you know you annualize that at a 50 PE, like I said, well, that's a, that's an $800 share price. Yeah. But then if they continue to grow that, then like, that's the thing with the PE ratio. If they continue to grow, like, let's say in Q1, they get to $6 or something like that, which I think is definitely possible. Yeah. Um, then like, then you've got a, a new higher floor. And so that's where, as you know, uncomfortable as this market has been right now, when you go out long enough, you know, I think 12 months is, is a pretty good time frame to look at. Um, the floor is just going to get raised so much, assuming, you know, the worst case scenario doesn't happen and, you know, operationally they can't deliver that. Mm. I, I, I believe that the stock price is going to have to kind of get repriced upwards at some point. Yeah. Yeah. From Farzad, how you doing Farzad? Uh, question, if these deflationary pressures continue, what are the chances that the Tesla gross margin percentage is significantly higher late this year since all price increases were done in preparation of higher inflation? That's a good question. I haven't thought about it, you know, positive, uh, potential positive. Uh, what are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah. I mean, I think where it might show up. So, so you, there's, there's probably two things to look at. One would be the demand side. So what, you know, when we were talking about used car inventories and, and even new new car inventory. Well, I think mostly used car inventories actually are, are starting to build up. So that's saying that, you know, the demand is lower now than it had been. So Tesla's not seeing that phenomenon yet, but it's possible that if the kind of pain continues to build, they could see that. And so then they may have deflationary pressure in the terms in um, translating to, you know, needing to lower prices. So if that were to happen, that'd be bad news for gross margins, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, if, if, you know, the deflationary pressure kind of translates to lower commodity prices, um, so lower steel and lower, you know, all the, all the elements that go into the, the batteries, um, and they don't have that demand problem, that would obviously be very, very good for, uh, for gross margins. Um, so I, I think it's, it remains to be seen exactly how it play out, but, you know, as I'm looking at the data right now, Demand doesn't seem to be slackening, so that's good for pricing pressure. But commodity prices don't seem to be moving either, so that's not necessarily good for gross margins. Um, so I wouldn't assume any drastic change other than you know, just kind of their continued manufacturing improvements. From Mark Gomez, Tejada, at which price Tesla should for the share, at which price should... <laughs> Should Tesla, Tesla do a share repurchase? I yeah, which Tesla, I couldn't read that. Yeah, even if <laughs> there's a little typo it, there, even it costs cash safety or missing M and A opportunities. Uh, 
I don't know, Matt, you have any thought on this one? I couldn't quite understand the question here. I mean, I think it's getting at, um, should Tesla do a buyback, um, or, which is, you know, something that, um, oh gosh, who's the, Leo Koguan has been really pushing for that. Um, yeah. You know, in, the, in the past, I've been, I would say, against it, um, you know, for the reason that they, you know, have a pretty ambitious capital spend plan and, you know, you want to keep some reserves. But they've got $18 billion in cash and they're generating about $2 billion a quarter right now in the increasing of free cash flow. So that's operating cash flow minus all your, your capital expenditures. So, um, you know, that's earning nothing on your balance sheet, just kind of sitting there doing nothing. And with Tesla's stock price where it is, to me, it actually does make sense to um, do a small share purchase program. I mean, I wouldn't want them to do like a billion dollars a quarter or anything like that. But, you know, some amount where, you know, you're you know, kind of maintaining your fortress balance sheet in the event that, you know, the economy really takes a turn for the worse and you need to survive some period of uncertainty um, or just your, your capital spending increases more than your operating cash flow. Um, but to me, that seems like a prudent thing to do right now. Um, and I think it would send a, a kind of a good sign that, you know, management's really um, optimistic. I don't think they'll do it, but I am actually kind of in favor of it for the first time. But what do you think? I heard you on Dave Lee. You were kind of neutral on, on this idea. Yeah, no, I'm certainly neutral on it. I could go either way. You know, at some point they should do a share buyback uh, or issue a dividend. I don't know if now is the time, but, you know, they can't spend money as fast as they are making it pretty soon. Um, so they're going to have to do something. You know, that might be a year or two years away, obviously. I mean, they're making they're printing what a million, a billion or a couple billion per quarter about right now something about like that billion. so yeah yeah so are they spending what are they going to spend that money on you know they're still and, and they're doing this while they're ramping up two factories you know and even if they get two more factories going they're still going to be making you know they're very capital efficient and uh they're gonna need to do something with that cash uh, <laughs> i don't know some people suggest that they're just gonna buy a bunch of their own cars robo taxis maybe or buy a bunch of their own bots from themselves just lease it out and make their own business out of those things, be a fleet operator themselves. That's, you know, maybe that's, that's a good use of their own capital, um, sort of be their own robot investment trust, so to speak, uh, that we've talked about. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, an interesting uh, headline, by the way, just came across. I saw, I noticed, and I, I we hadn't talked about this yet. I wanted to mention is the SpaceX just raised more cap capital at a 125 billion valuation. The private market, you know, it's so, crazy like you know valuations across the board are coming down you know it's also in the private market right i mean but mm -hmm. spacex is raising capital at a higher it, it, i think the last time they raised capital was like 95 billion or something like that or it was close to 100 but not quite I thought it was right around 100 yeah yeah and now they're 25 percent higher but that was like a year ago i think when they raised capital at that it was maybe a little less than a year ago back when the stock market was before a crash, right? So you got to think that, you know, if SpaceX was publicly traded, you know, like this is sort of like the floor, like we're talking about the floor, right? I feel like this is the SpaceX floor is 125 billion, the money they're raising it at right now, because the markets are kind of crashed. If SpaceX was a publicly traded company, it probably would have been trading up to like a 200 billion plus market cap valuation on the public equity side. And right now it would be corrected down, you know, 50% like Tesla to like 125 <laughs> billion. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, how goes SpaceX is down to this now? You know, <laughs> but and because SpaceX is privately held and they only raise capital once a year if they need to or whatever, then we don't really have that emotional attachment to the valuations like we do for equities or, you know, we don't buy on the way up to near the high. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a whole different mindset. It's kind of interesting to think about. Anyway, yeah. next question from Rudy Romo. Question, with Tesla now in the 600s, how do you see the possible stock split? Well, I don't know if that giga split I was I was push pitching is going to happen now. <laughs> 50 to 1. I don't know if that's going to happen now, but probably 10, to, 10 or 20 to 1 is my thought. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, like a, a 10 to 1 at 60 seems pretty reasonable. So like a $60 stock price, that's not in any risk of being delisted or anything like that. So. Yeah. Um, to me, that seems that seems reasonable, and I think they'll still go ahead with it. Um, 
Yeah. And now I, I don't know that that would necessarily be a catalyst, but I don't know. Maybe people forgot about it and they're like, oh, sock split. Yeah, we should, you know, rally 10% or something like that. Um, hopefully that's the case, but uh, I kind of suspect it, it might not be. But I, th- I think it'll still go forward. I mean, that should be coming out in the next, you know, month or so here because we've got the uh, shareholder event in, in uh, on August 4th. And I think the um, proxy statements are going out in early June. So, um, yeah, we should get some more information soon. Yeah, yeah. Let's just do one more question. It's a little after ten thirty here. We're about at the hour mark here. So one more question from Breakfast Pizza. I like that. Thoughts on Delicious. June twenty twenty four leaps. You know, it's I have like probably a, a couple of uh, DMs a day. Some days it'll be like a half dozen. Some days it'll be like one or none. But I get so many questions in my Twitter DMs about like what about these options? What do you think about this option trade I did? Should I get you know? And I don't answer most of them. Sometimes I feel like I need to have a cut and paste. Like just put it in the discussion of YouTube live because so many people ask this and um, you know, we don't really give investment advice in any way, shape or form. The leaps are very risky, you know, options in general, you know, people have been slaughtered from leaps in the last six months for sure. Uh, and as we've seen stock, you you know, if you own all stock, you're down 50% on Tesla, which sounds horrible. But if you own a lot of leaps, you're down a lot more than 50%, you know, like, you know, you're probably down 80 or 90% if you own a lot of leaps, you know, from the mm-hmm. highs, you know, so maybe more. So it's very risky. Um, and, you know, we, we do believe the stock will, will in the end become much higher valuation, but we just don't know how long these depressed valuations can last of the equities in general. You know, like we could be in a new era where, People used to widely accept a PEG of one, like you said, but maybe it's a new PEG that's kind of widely accepted for a while, you know, like until, you know, interest rates are more certain or if inflation's completely under control or whatnot, you know. So equity stock, yeah, for sure. You know, we like, you know, Tesla as a stock ourselves personally. Um, the leaps, you just have to be prepared to lose all of it, you know. Um, any options, I feel like with Tesla, you got to be prepared to, to lose. If it's part of your speculative uh, money, I think that's, you know, I would, I, I speculate and I buy Tesla leaps with some speculative money that I know I could lose all of, but it's risky. Any, anything you want to add, Matt? No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's high risk, high reward. Um, so yeah, we, we, we really try not to comment on any specific options contracts um, for that reason, but um, you know, you can, you can make a lot of money or you can lose it all. So that's, that's yeah. the tricky thing with options. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little more gambling like than investing. Um, but you know, over a long, if you can manage it well, it, you know, it can be done, but you know, it's, it's, it's tricky and it's very, uh, turbulent and volatile. So painstaking to say the least I've been doing yeah, it for yeah. a while and it's, it's, you lose a lot of sleep sometimes. So <laughs> Yeah, Time, times like this for sure. But um, yeah. you know, you you do like you can couple it with with analysis in, in or event driven, you know, uh, investing uh, hypotheses, and um, that's what we you know try to do with with you know the fund is is be reasonable and not you know just gamble like we're throwing darts up on the board. But even still, you like yeah. you're. We've seen this several times where like our investment thesis has been correct. Like <laughs> there was one company we haven't even talked about, but like we got the earnings estimate exactly right to the penny this was not tesla yeah stock was up like i don't know 20 percent or something like that in after hours we're like all right yeah. cool like we actually nailed this um yeah and then like the next day the stock went right back to where it had been trading uh, yeah so it's like you can have the best um analysis you can be spot on on your your thesis and sometimes the market just doesn't react the way that you would think that it would yeah um, so yeah. clearly that happened with tesla in, in with, with the q1 print um you know it's it's sinking right now and so um, I'm, yeah. I'm optimistic from on where we go from here, but, um, I was optimistic last month too. Yeah. I think the thing people have to think about, and I, I referenced this at Tesla con is there's a difference between the business and the stock, right? So we, we can be confident on the stock and what the earnings number will be and revenue and profit. We can, we can be right on that where everyone else was wrong on that. And that should favor the reflection in a stock price in a similar fashion, you'd think, but the stock is different than the business. And over a long time horizon, they kind of correlate, but on the short term time horizon, you know, options, obviously they're not 
they don't necessarily correlate. And so it's risky. And so the stock, because it's not correlated, I mean, the option is a derivative on the stock and the stock is sort of like a derivative on the business in a way. And so like the options is like, although the option is directly correlated to the stock price, you know, as the stock's moving up and down based on the Delta that the option has on it, you don't have that. There's no like official Delta, unfortunately, of a, of a stock with the business. Otherwise we, you know, I'd be like all, you know, it would be, it would be different, but uh, yeah, the business and the stocks are different and uh, you just have to try to think about them separately in that way, but realize that they're connected in the long run for sure. Yeah. So, all right, that's it. Great episode, Matt. And uh, we'll be here next week, same time, same place. And uh, hopefully not another down day. Where the, you know, it looks like we talked Tesla down to almost a new low of the day. It was close to the high of the day at 6.52 when we started. And now it's at like 6.30. So, oh, 6:30. what did we do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We were talk, telling people that this could go on for a while. I don't know. So, well, it was I don't know. nice to have you back this week, Emmett. And I yeah. did a great job while you were out. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah. good to have you back and get the conversation rolling again. But uh, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe right. we need to eat some juju or something next time around. Got to get some get kind of yeah stock price. I can see in the how right direction. I can see how like you know I think that happens in 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 uh, baseball or competition. People have those. What, what do they call that? The oh yeah the. Why am I blanking on that term? Yeah, I, I I'm blanking on that term. <laughs> but you do these things like like LeBron James throws the chalk up in the air. I don't know. I'm going to try something like that before our next live stream. And if the stock goes up, I'm going to try it the next time. And if it happens like two or three times in a row, I'll have a new like habit and I'll tell you about it if it works. We should we should wear only green. I'm wearing red today. That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's that's we got a, maybe a different shirt or I don't know. I'll, I'll figure something out. I'm going to try something like that next next time. All right. All right, Matt. Good chatting. Talk to you later. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Thanks.